is Truth Talks. Welcome back, everyone, to the Truth Talks podcast. I'm your host, Buddy Boone. With me today uh-huh. is the pastor of Bellcroft Bible Church. His name is Pastor Matt White. How you doing today, sir? I am in the house, brother. <laughs> I'm glad you're in the house. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, this is this is going to be an interesting one because I have a question about. Uh, They're all interesting. Yeah. Brother. Well. Yeah, I know, but this is this is going to be interesting because um, I have a few, uh, two questions, basically. They all tie in together. Uh, one is about a certain scripture, and one is about a certain concept um, that's pulled from scripture. Mm-hmm. So the scripture is actually 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse mm-hmm. 21. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I ask this question is because this mm-hmm. week I saw a very, very interesting video mm-hmm. by a person that uh, you would trust and I trust uh, as much as he's a human being. Yeah. Um, you know, but we still trust him. His, his name is actually Justin Peters. Uh-huh. So the video um, was highlighting, um, unfortunately highlighting, a sermon yeah. by a certain uh, pastor. This pastor was actually talking about this scripture. Oh, no. I, now, I have a feeling I know where this is going. Yeah. It's not good. Now, Justin Peters is, you know, he broke the scripture down, but he didn't do, he didn't go into depth because he wanted to kind of highlight exactly what that is. But I want you to give a little bit more of an understanding of this scripture mm-hmm. um, because we were also talking about this in our Wednesday night uh, mm-hmm. Bible study. Mm-hmm. And this was a scripture that was quoted a lot. Mm-hmm. And somebody asked a very, uh, well, the uh, elder asked a very, I would say, bizarre question uh, or unanswerable question. Yeah. And the question was, if there was no sin, would would the cross be necessary if there was no sin in the world? Now, of course, we all debunked that and said, hey, that's a bad question to ask. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we kind of talked through it which was, it wasn't a bad conversation. And of course the elder wasn't doing it for the purpose of trying to mislead us yeah. to make us think. Yep. So what I wanted to actually talk to you about was this scripture and yep. talk about sin and Christ. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. for all of you who are driving and cannot pull out your Bible, mm-hmm. I will read this scripture for you. So second Corinthians chapter five, verse 21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, let me set up the question for you. First of all, the video, and I will definitely try to link this in the show notes, even though nobody reads them. (laughs) (laughs) I will definitely link you in the show notes to this video. And I want you to watch this video. Um, I would say, and at this point, obviously everybody is, uh, uh, you know, fallible. um, But, Justin Peters has done an excellent job, I'd say, over the years, faithfully teaching through the scriptures and under helping other people to understand what the word of faith and uh, a lot of these uh, ministries, um, how fake they are and how uh, unbiblical they are. Mm. And the one that he, the pastor that he was talking about was Todd White. Yeah. Uncle Todd. Uncle Todd. Yeah, that, that guy, man, I'm telling you. Uncle Todd and Aunt Paula. No. Not that is it? Oh yeah, you're right because they both. But your last name is White too. That's you, why I said cousin Uncle, Matt, Uncle Todd. Oh yeah, okay, I get what you're saying. Okay, yeah, that flew right over my head. Since I, I don't I've have had any to, hair, I've had to live with that my whole life. Uncle yeah. Todd and Aunt Paula. That's oh man, I'm sorry that that is your lot. That's not a good one. Yeah. So um yeah so 
Todd White actually was preaching out of this uh, of the scripture or from the scripture or trying to at least. I won't even call it preaching. Yeah, I was going to say don't. Yeah, he and doesn't, he doesn't preach. He was speaking. Yeah, in regards to the scripture, Talking. and he actually said that what the scripture says that Jesus became sin. Yeah, which is and awesome. he's his emphasis was that Jesus became sin. Now his twist on it was Jesus became a sinner. That was his twist. Yeah. So he used certain types of sin. Yeah. Je- Jesus became uh, someone with an anger management problem, someone yeah. with an addiction, someone, yeah. you know, uh, you know, a, 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 you know, that all types of sexual whatever. He was just using that, and mm-hmm. Jesus became that. Mm-hmm. And me and Beverly and I were watching it, and we we're like, he's just using these words for shock value. That's basically. all he's doing. Emotion, you know? yeah, sensationalism, and that's really what it was. Manipulation. Yeah. How many other? <laughs> shuns can you use but what i want you to do is i want you to um (laughs) exegete uh the scripture and uh, i heard this uh i heard this sentence to to uh yesterday and i thought it was amazing they were talking to this podcast talking about pastors and uh they said let the let the word speak let let the let the scripture talk itself you know let the word let the scripture preach and i was like that's that's really good let the truth talk let the truth talk yeah there you go so um, can you give us kind of an explanation of what that actually means? Yeah. Um, what yeah. sin is, not necessarily what sin is, but how Christ became sin for us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So obviously, um, Christ did not become sin, right? Because sin is, is not some sort of inanimate object, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, uh, sin, sin in every way is rebellion, <laughs> against God. Mm-hmm. It is an active rejection of the will of God. It is living in, uh, in a contrary nature to the way of God. It is completely denying the word of God, which obviously that is impossible for the second member of the Trinity, the Son of God, to do. Mm-hmm. It is impossible for him to sin. He is fully holy and without sin. There is no darkness in him at all. Never has been, never will be. James chapter 1 makes that really clear. Titus chapter 1, he cannot lie. He is uh, completely and fully holy. He was tempted in all ways, yet, as Hebrews says, with what? Without sin. Mm -hmm. And so um, it is the pinnacle of blasphemy and heresy and Satanism on the core of to take Christ and call him a sinner, mm-hmm. right? It, it is it is completely and utterly as ungodly, unbiblical, and wicked as it can come. He's the perfect son of God, because the minute that Christ becomes an active sinner, mm-hmm. he no longer can be the sin bearer. Mm-hmm. So that means then that the entire gospel falls apart, Yeah, because the gospel rests upon a number of key theological truths Mm -hmm. and one of those is that christ has to be completely absolutely inherently utterly holy yes right and uh, holy not in just his perfect active obedience but in his passive obedience in every aspect he has to be perfect internally and externally Mm -hmm. he can't have a sinful motive he can't have a sinful attitude he can't have a sinful perspective nor can he have sinful acts because again this will help us understand what it means what paul is saying when he said he became sin 
you have to go all the way back to the Day of Atonement. You got to go all the way back to the Old Testament sacrifices where this understanding of Christ dying, as John says, is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Christ is our uh, our propitiatory sacrifice. He is the Ooh, those big words. Yes, what that? And I'll get to that. But mm-hmm. he is the Lamb slain. Yeah, he is the ultimate scapegoat, mm-hmm. and he is the ultimate Passover Lamb, as mm-hmm. as the writer of Hebrews says. He is our Passover, mm-hmm. right? And so all of that, all of those metaphorical descriptors go all the way back to the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. We 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 can't understand this verse if we don't know the Old Testament. And it all goes back to the fact that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Mm-hmm. Well, there it's not just any shedding of blood. It has to be the shedding of blood as God demands. Mm-hmm. And he always demanded the perfect sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So Day of Atonement and, and the like, they had to bring a sacrifice that was what? Without blemish. Mm-hmm. So that meant they had to, in the day, in the Passover, they had to watch the lamb for like three days. They had to watch over it. They had to bring it in the house. They had to make sure it had no blemishes, no mm-hmm. broken bones, no mm-hmm. no crooked teeth, the whole deal, right? They had to watch over it. They had to care for it. They, It was very interesting in that because they built an intimate relationship with this with this little wow. ewe lamb, yeah, okay. and, and which is exactly right. what Christ did. He came mm-hmm. on earth. They built a relationship with him, mm-hmm. proved himself to be the perfect lamb because he never sinned he went through hell and high water and with the pharisees and in this world and he was proven right which is what god from heaven said multiple times this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased Mm -hmm. right basically saying this is the one Mm -hmm. he is the one who can be the sacrifice that sin demands that Mm -hmm. the curse which god brought it's his curse upon us because of our sin it demanded a perfect sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I, we see that in the Old Testament, and obviously Israel is even chided at times for not bringing the perfect sacrifice, bringing the broken lambs and the lame lambs, and and Lord's like, what is this? Why are you bringing me this? And so obviously at the minute that Christ has any blemish in his, in his character at all, or any blemish in his actions at all, he ceases to be a sufficient sacrifice. We are all damned without any question. So the minute you start talking about him at any moment, at any moment being a sinner, we're done. The whole gospel falls apart. Mm-hmm. So there's it's one thing to bear sin. It's another thing to be sin. Mm-hmm. And those words are very important. Mm-hmm. And so the minute we start start clearly teaching that he is sin mm-hmm. we have we have made up a christ that's not the christ of the bible and we are in heresy we are in uh, it's not false teaching we are in heresy and we have we are preaching another gospel and paul is clear may that be anathema mm-hmm. so so yeah so you got to go back to the old testament you got to see that you got to understand that he is, I mean, Isaiah 53 is, is really helpful in this passage. Mm-hmm. And I preached this passage, believe it or not. I can't remember the exact date, but I think it might have been Good Friday, last Good Friday or something like that. I, I literally preached this passage and uh, talked about all of this. And I was crying too much. I don't yeah. know what you preached about. <laughs> yeah, but it, it was this, it yeah. was this reality and because it's so paramount to yeah. the gospel and I mean it's a good Friday passage. I yeah. mean, this is this, this is what you preached about. I remember this yeah. very specifically. Yeah. This yeah. Was, yeah. yeah, and the reality of what this means yeah. and the and the 
and the reality of the lamb slain and the propitiation that that brings mm-hmm. and the satisfying of the wrath of God because of the sufficient and, and sinless sacrifice. It had to be a sinless sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And of course, animals don't sin, you know, rebel against God in that sense. And so, so you can't say you got to have a sinless animal. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the figure of, of language or the, the metaphorical imagery is you bring an animal that's without blemish, mm-hmm. which pictures a sinless sacrifice. So that's what God is depicting when he says, I want a, I want a perfect animal. I want an animal. I want a lamb without blemish. That's what that is. Now, part of that is obedience on the part of the offerer. He's got to follow the word of God, demonstrating a contrite heart and all of that. But it also is the acceptance of the sacrifice. It, it's not acceptable to God, mm-hmm. right? God doesn't accept just anything we bring. Mm-hmm. He only accepts that which he demands. Mm. And he demanded a sinless sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So at any point in the conversation, if Christ is not what Christ is displayed and declared to be in the Bible, then you have another Christ, which means you have no gospel. And mm. that's the problem with so many people. They're they're praying to, worshiping, and believing in a Christ that's not the Christ of the Bible. Christ is just a title, meaning Messiah, the long-awaited deliverer, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so if he, is, if he has any sin at all, we're done, we're doomed, it's worthless. So, so Isaiah 53 obviously makes that clear, right? Right. Because the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all, mm-hmm. right? So the language is one of bearing, right? It's, it's exactly what is, again, depicted, and go back to the Old Testament, so clearly, it's so helpful. This is what I love about the uh, the Old Testament because it's so filled with narrative and illustrations, right? Because we we will read these deep theological truths in the New Testament, and for me, I'm a pretty simple guy, and so it's like if you show it to me, I can see it. Right. Sometimes you tell it to me, and I'm, my mind is just not that sharp, and it's like I struggle. But the minute you show it to me, it's like I get it, mm-hmm. and that's what I love about the Old Testament because we get to see these theological truths. That are, that are clearly declared in the New Testament, but they're clearly illustrated in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. So in the Old Testament, we don't have the clear declaration of propitiation and these kind of things like we do in the New Testament, mm-hmm. but we have the illustration of them. Mm-hmm. So when you take the old and you put it together with the new, you have the illustration of the explanation and mm-hmm. you pull it together and it's like, bingo, clarity. Mm-hmm. And that's why you have to you have to always be working with the old and the new together. Right. It's one book. Mm-hmm. So when you look at this passage, 2 Corinthians 5.21, and you read it through the lens of the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16, and all of that, and you read it through the lens of Isaiah 53, which is all depicting what Paul is declaring, mm-hmm. and you start to realize, oh, yeah, he was the sin bearer, right, just as the lamb was. He was the scapegoat, the other, the other lamb on the Day of Atonement. You had the two. You had the one that... You had the one that was sacrificed and the one that bore the sins outside the camp. Mm. And what would they do? Again, the lamb doesn't the lamb doesn't become sinful, but they would lay their hands on the lamb. Even mm. the father would have his hands on the lamb while the priest was slitting the throat, mm. right? And the father's confessing the sins of his family and the sins of himself as the priest would when he was sacrificing for himself. Mm-hmm. He would lay the hands while the priest would slit the throat. And and the scapegoat the 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 scapegoat was then would carry so it's a different lamb different sacrifice mm-hmm. and they would confess the sins over the scapegoat on the day of atonement and then one lamb was slain for the sins as the pr- payment for the s- 
uh, for the penalty in the sense of offering it up to God. The other one was given to drive it out of the out of the um, out of the camp, out of the camp, mm-hmm. which was a picture of bearing the sins, taking them away, mm-hmm. and 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 obviously dying, forsaking for yeah, yep, forsaking, taking the sins away and mm-hmm. dying, right? Mm-hmm. And then obviously that's the mm-hmm. whole point. The lamb, the ram, the the scapegoat would go out and die in the wilderness, out in mm-hmm. the desert. And again, that's the picture you have in the crucifixion. Christ is slain like like the sacrificial lamb. Mm-hmm. He's slain for the si- sins of man, but he's also what? The scapegoat where he takes the sins away mm-hmm. because he was not slain in, in the camp. He was slain outside. He wasn't slain in Jerusalem. Yeah. He was slain outside, which mm-hmm. is the perfect picture, which right. is what, which is exactly what Paul is depicting here when he says... Uh, for our sake, God made him who knew no sin to be sin. He's he's not saying that Christ became a sinner or that Christ became sinful. Mm-hmm. What he's saying here in short form is Christ became the sin bearer. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what he's saying. He mm-hmm. bore our sins, which is exactly what Peter says in First Peter chapter 2, verse 21. He's, he bore our sins in his body on the tree. Mm-hmm. doesn't say he became sin in the sense of he, he became a sinner. He became a harlot. He became a murderer. He mm-hmm. became a, a, you know, a homosexual. He became a, a liar, a thief. That's just, that's just illogical, irrational, and just downright wicked. Yeah. It's, just, it's just foolish. Mm-hmm. It's taking the beauty and the majesty and the holiness of Christ and dragging him through the muck and the mire of all the wickedness of the world. Mm-hmm. That is like anti-Christ, anti-God. It's what I said earlier. It's, it's satanic. Mm-hmm. Only Satan would come up with, a, with an idea of the Son of God that would somehow be twisted and demented. To come up with that. It's nonsense. Mm-hmm. He is the holy, perfect son of God. And that's what makes the crucifixion so shocking. Mm-hmm. Because the minute he becomes the murderer, the minute he becomes the the harlot, the minute he becomes the 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 homosexual, the minute he becomes the liar, the thief, the whatever, doesn't he deserve it? Yeah. He can't bear our sins because he's bearing his own sins. Exactly. Doesn't yeah. he deserve it? Mm-hmm. Doesn't he then say, yeah, you were right to get what you, just like I would be right to be squashed by mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. And so it takes away the shock and awe of the amazing, holy, jealous love of God that he would, Isaiah 53, crush his own son who never did anything wrong. Mm-hmm. It, it is The gospel is awe-inspiring, it is. It takes your breath away when you rightfully understand it, mm-hmm. because the perfect Son of God who did no wrong was the one who paid for the wrongs of the world. Mm. And it, and the minute you make him wrong, you take all that away. Yeah. And you see, it literally, it, it, this kind of of satanic preaching that these these charlatans is what they are. Mm-hmm. These guys do. This isn't bad preaching. This isn't mediocre preaching. This is hellish preaching. Mm. It comes from the pit of hell. And these guys are literally, they're not preaching the gospel. They're inoculating people to the gospel. Mm. That's exactly what that is. It's taking the legs of the gospel out by taking away the gospel mm-hmm. in the so-called preaching of the gospel. Mm-hmm. It's lunacy. Mm. Sorry, I... I apologize for getting a little excited. So go back to the text. Let's let the truth talk. I'm talking too much. Mm-hmm. So go back to then Second Corinthians 5.21. So for our sake, he, God, sovereignly, providentially made him, Christ, to be the sin bearer. Well, isn't that 
Isn't that what the text, the Bible says from the beginning, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, there's going to come a one that's going to crush the head of the serpent? Mm-hmm. It, it was God's design from the beginning. Revelation makes it really clear, right, multiple times that Christ is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Yeah. It, it, I love uh, the throne room scene in Rome, uh, Revelation 5 where uh, the title deed of, of the earth is held in the hand of God. The Ancient of Days is holding the title deed, the title deed of, of, of the universe, mm-hmm. meaning whoever holds this has the right mm-hmm. to bring about now the destruction and the tribulation and the judgment on earth. And he says, who will come and open the scroll, mm-hmm. right? Open up the title deed and finish the deal. No one can come forward because no one has the right. Mm. And then John says, I saw one mm-hmm. standing in the back. But he, he he doesn't see one with a crown. He doesn't see one as a king. What does he say? I saw one as a lamb slain. Mm. It's the lamb slain that gives him the right to hold the title deed mm-hmm. because he shed his blood, you know, in, in so many ways for the world, not mm-hmm. even even people, but even the cosmos to bring reconciliation, right. Colossians one. Yep. And so he comes forward because he has the, he is the one that who has done this. He is the only one that has the right to break the seals, open the scroll and bring hell mm-hmm. on earth to rightfully judge man as Acts 17 said was coming. And mm-hmm. what was the key? Not that he became sin, but he was the lamb slain. Back to, here we are, right back to Leviticus 16. Mm-hmm. He was the one mm-hmm. that paid the price. Now he's the one that gets to bring the pain. And that's the reality. And so that's what he's saying. It, the, the language is interesting, and the, the speech is interesting, and the translation is interesting on you know, how we use that, he made him to be sin. Well, he, not, in the, not in the actual sense of Christ is a sinner, but he treated him as if he was a sinner. Mm-hmm. That's what he's saying. He laid upon him the judgment that sin deserved. Mm-hmm. That's what Christ pays. He pays the ransom price that God demanded for sin. And Christ comes, as Mark ten forty five says, to, to pay the ransom price for sin, to reconcile, to redeem, so that he might propitiate God's holy wrath. And that's why I, uh, the verse is interesting, right? Because it's, it's, it's a motivation at the end of everything Paul has been saying in this section. And so he's motivating them, and you can see it at verse 20. Therefore, as ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Come back to God. It's Isaiah 55. Let the sinner forsake his ways. Let him return to the Lord mm-hmm. that he may find mercy. Let him repent and turn. And now t- verse 21 is the motivation, mm-hmm. right? The motivation for being reconciled to God. Well, how can I be reconciled to God? Why would I want? What, what's the path? What do I do? For our sake, for, for, for making reconciliation a reality for us, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And then here's the purpose. So that's the, that's the reason. That's the explanation. That's the motivation. Now, now he gives the purpose. Like there's a reason God did this. It wasn't so that you could have your best life now. It's so that you could, it's so that you could have your, your righteous life now and your best life later. Mm-hmm. And he says, so that, that's purpose clause, in him, meaning believing in him, we might become the righteousness of God. And because that's what God demands for entrance into heaven is perfection, holiness. Mm-hmm. And so this, this passage, rightfully understood, is what's called the great exchange. Mm-hmm. Okay? 
So this is this is this is what protects you from falling into that into that demonic exegesis of Todd White and so many others that view this passage like that. It's a great exchange. What does that mean? What does that mean? On the cross, Christ exchanges his righteousness for our wickedness. Mm-hmm. He takes upon himself as the sin bearer the wickedness, the penalty for our wickedness. So he bears our wickedness. He bec- he becomes in the sight of God as if as if it was us. Mm-hmm. Right? So in the sight of God, God sees him as the sinner. He's not the sinner, but God sees him as the sinner. And so he lays the penalty upon him as if he was the, the wicked one. And then he takes the perfect righteousness of God and he lays it upon the sinner. Now think about it. The think this is glorious. Hang with me. Mm-hmm. Does Christ become the sinner? No. But God sees him as the sinner and lays upon him the judgment we deserve. Now flip it. Do we become righteous? No. But God sees us as if we're righteous. Hmm. It's the great exchange. So the perfect righteousness of God by which we are all justified. Justification is the foundation to salvation. And it is a forensic, clear declaration divinely given by God alone when he looks upon the believing sinner. Key word, believing sinner, not the believing saint. Believing sinner. He's Mm -hmm. still a sinner. Mm -hmm. And God looks upon him and says, righteous, justified, perfect in my sight. Mm -hmm. That's nuts. How can that be? Because the believing sinner who's still a sinner has put his faith in Christ and God himself says, bingo, Christ's righteousness now is yours. Mm -hmm. That's why justification isn't a works-based reality. It's a divine declaration Mm -hmm. where God says, I'll take his righteousness and I'll accredit it to you as if it's yours. It's not yours. Mm -hmm. You're not righteous. Mm -hmm. Not yet. You will Mm -hmm. be in heaven one day, Mm -hmm. but right now you're not. But I'll look at you. I'll treat you as if you're perfectly, completely righteous. Mm -hmm. That's how we can talk about God and not be judged and pray to him and enter into his presence and not be damned. Now reverse it. He does the same thing for Christ. Christ is perfectly holy. He's always been perfectly holy. Mm -hmm. He's never stopped being perfectly holy. Mm -hmm. But on the cross, God does what? He takes our wickedness and he imputes it. Mm. He he credits it to Mm -hmm. Christ as if he was. Mm -hmm. As if he was. He's not. He's never stopped being perfect. Mm -hmm. But he imputes it. That's the great exchange that happens at the cross. That's what this verse is so phenomenal. Because in one verse... Paul is bringing out the theology of imputation. That's mm-hmm. the that's what this verse is all right, about. Right. The imputation of our wickedness to Christ and his righteousness to us. Mm-hmm. And that imputation is one of accounting crediting, but not actuality, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it's positional, meaning God sees me in this position, but it's not practical, mm-hmm. right? I'm not there yet. That's where I grow in sanctification and become in person, what I am in position. Mm-hmm. So in position, Christ becomes, in God's sight, the sin bearer who now is treated as if he is actually the sinner. Mm-hmm. But he never becomes that. Right. Does that make sense? It, it makes a lot of sense. And I want to say three things. One thing that I really like that, uh, one, you've never seen this video before, right? Never. Yeah. Never even heard of it. And 
here's here's the beauty of scripture. <laughs> if you're following scripture, everybody says the same thing. I'm talking about the Justin Peters video, not the Sorry. Tom White yeah, video. Yeah, thank you, thank yeah, you. He's, he's not. If I he's start not talking saying, like him, yeah, yeah, cut this, me off. Yeah, this, yeah, it, that 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 won't. He won't be on the Truth Talks podcast anymore. <laughs> but what what he what Justin did say, which uh, I, I love this phrase, uh, "Simo justice et peccator." Mm-hmm. And at the same time, just and a sinner is one of the things that he said. And I was like, man, I like that. That's mm-hmm. good. And put that on a T-shirt. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I noticed off the bat is uh, Todd White made a, a very, very big mistake. You know, besides what he would call preaching, he made a very big mistake. One, a lot of the charlatans, charlatans that you hear or see when they're preaching they do this. They take a they take a text and they talk about that text. What you did while you were talking, Matt, is you said you went to the text and then you had all of these other texts mm. that literally just said the same exact thing mm-hmm. to prove that that text was right. Mm-hmm. Now, what he did also. So that's the that's the first part. Mm-hmm. OK, you, you were able to, Matt, you were able to take the text and use other scriptures to prove that that text was correct. Mm. And it wasn't you trying to take it out of context or anything like that. That's what you did. The other thing that, um, excuse me, Uncle White didn't do is he didn't literally read before. No. Read the scripture before, read it afterwards. Because here's the thing. Whenever you see a scripture, and this is what I've learned, when and, and, and uh, uh, I, uh, Uncle R.C., I'll put it that way, <laughs> Uncle R.C., he, he said something, and it stuck with me for years. The first time I heard it, it stuck with me for years. If you see a therefore, you got to see what the there is there for. The mm-hmm. therefore is there for. Mm-hmm. That's what he would say. Yep. So there's a four right here. So that means that you got to go back and see why that four is there because it's literally just proving whatever was there before. Given a reason. It's given a reason. And for he something. did not look for what that reason was. Amen. And so for me, it's like, ah, there you go. You got to understand that he didn't do those two practical things yeah and then he would have understand understood the text the correct way well he didn't want to that's why he didn't do oh it. No, of course not because yeah. that's how and, and <laughs> we were talking about our uh our our membership here how uh matt is literally trying to preach some of the people away <laughs> by bringing the heat and bringing the, and and bringing the thunder uh each sunday but not necessarily that just literally just preaching the word yeah um you know, uh, he Todd White is literally preaching to to attract people. Yeah, yeah. you know, because it's like I see myself in Jesus now. That's that's oh, what he was trying word. to allow people to do. It's like I I'm a sinner. I do that, and Jesus became that for me. No. Yeah, I'll do that. And it's like no, that's that's not what the scriptures. That's not what any scripture is saying. Yeah. So anytime you look to the cross, anytime, and and and, and don't look down in humility. Mm being overwhelmed by the enormity of your own wickedness and the enormity of Christ's perfection, you are totally missing it. Mm. So the cross should make us look away mm-hmm. and look down, mm-hmm. not say, yeah, that's me. I'm like that. I'm mm-hmm. not, not at all. We look at Christ and we just, we weep because yeah. he is the perfect son of God that deserved none of that. Mm-hmm. And yet he took all of it. Yeah, That makes me look down and go, I'm unworthy. Yeah, I'm unworthy to even be still standing here gazing Mm -hmm. at the perfect son of God and so that you can see the difference Mm -hmm. and you can see how that kind of preaching 
takes the gospel away. It takes Christ away. Mm -hmm. It takes the beauty of Christ and makes him into this weird, this weird, idolatrous, uh, pitiful. Yeah. It turns our eyes away from the cross and puts it on ourselves as if we are good enough to even look at the cross yeah. to even look at the cross as if we are like you know we like we could have taken it like james and john did yeah. uh you know it's like yeah, yeah I, i'll take I'll, I'll bear that cup no you can't it's the it's yeah. literally the sins of the entire world it's brutal laid upon him and even worse you know we were talking <laughs> about in uh in in bible study that that cup that he bore yeah. The, yeah. the cup that he bore it's like the the garden and marty our our elder he's like he's like the garden of gethsemane like think about it like he was yeah. in the garden of gethsemane asking god to uh well saying if you know obviously your will be done but if there's any other way mm-hmm. let that way be the way because he understood what was about to take place and the pain and the suffering the full yeah. fury of god's holy yeah. wrath absolutely and he knew what was coming and in the and in the and in the words of the prophets, Christ would drink the dread, the dregs, the dregs. That means he would drink every single droplet, mm. and he drank it all. And I just, yeah, I don't even fully understand. I can't. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of us can. I, I not not. I don't think. I know. Mm-hmm. We cannot even fully understand all that Christ bore in the wrath of God when he hung there for those six hours Mm -hmm. and Christ poured out or God poured out his perfect, just, holy wrath on the sun. We can't even, we can't even quantify that. We can't even fathom that. But the little bit we can is overwhelming. Mm. It's overwhelming. It is. Yeah. Speaking of which, there you go. The, did we handle that? Did we deal with that? I I think that we did. I think right. that that was uh good. very good. Now, one of the you, you said a couple of big words in there. I want to go back and okay. kind of go over. Yeah. <clears throat> one of them was propitiation. Oh yeah. But one of the one of the words I do want you to talk about is this atonement, and this has yeah. to do with uh, <laughs> what you preached about uh, uh, on the uh, what day was that? Uh, the eleventh. What the, no, that wasn't the eleventh. What was Sunday? I'm trying to make it so that we can't date ourselves. Like you know, we we you know that we do the podcast at these times, and you know we, you know that during that time, whenever Sunday was the seventeenth. So on the seventeenth, you preached, uh, you preached about. Oh my goodness, he he done. He went to the he went to the bookshelf and pulled the biggest book ever <laughs> off of the bookshelf right now. <laughs> it's like we're gonna be here for a while. But the 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 what you talked about on uh, Sunday the seventeenth in that sermon yeah. uh, when you were talking about uh, various things, but one big thing that you said in that it was this term limited atonement. Yep. And uh, that is a very controversial statement in itself, a controversial term. Uh, because some people that understand uh, the uh, <clears throat> Calvinistic ways of, of living uh, will put that into the acronym of TULIP, and that's yeah. the middle part of it with the limited atonement. Um, I, most people that I, I know that, or a lot of people that I know will be a, a four-point, you know, they go to T-U-I-P. They just <laughs> leave that L completely out. Um, and, you know, like I said, it's, it's a pretty controversial concept yeah now you said yeah. it you said atonement and you talked about how it was limited yeah so 
I need to I need to I need to understand this a little bit and and help us understand what so, limited atonement is. Well, 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 we can go propitiation atonement. You know, it's yeah. all it's all in the same realm. So we talked a little about a bit about propitiation. Uh, so we can take that and move that right into the atonement, and then put that limited on the front of there, and see, and let's have a conversation about that. Yeah. So a couple things. Um, when we start talking about Christ's sacrifice for sin mm-hmm. and what all that means, I think um, as we broach this subject, we we must do what is rarely done, and that is we must enter into this discussion with the utmost humility and reverence mm-hmm. because I, and I, I'm not saying this that I believe this, I know this to be true. When we start talking about the death of Christ, the sacrificial uh, atoning sacrifice for sin, mm-hmm. we are talking about what in so many ways is mm, the pinnacle of all that Christ was pictured in the Old Testament and all that Christ came to do on so many levels. Now, there's more than that, and obviously the resurrection, and and we can talk about the inseparable link between those two, but you've, you've asked about the atoning sacrifice, and I think that's the best way to talk about it. When we start talking about the atoning sacrifice, we are talking about one of the, if not the most important reality in all the Bible. If you take that fact, that truth that event away take the cross away we have absolutely nothing now i get it same thing with the resurrection you could say however the resurrection deals with the proof okay Mm -hmm. the resurrection so i don't minimize the resurrection is vital it's foundational to the gospel most people don't realize that and that's what first corinthians 15 declares if christ is not raised from the dead our faith is in vain Mm -hmm. but that that doesn't that doesn't speak to the sacrificial provision the cross is the provision of righteousness. The resurrection is the proof of Christ's deity, right? Mm-hmm. The proof that it's accepted. Mm-hmm. So you got to have both, especially if you're going to have hope. The, the cross provides the help we need. The resurrection provides the hope we need. Mm-hmm. And so you need both. But the cross is the crux of the matter because the cross deals with our sin. Mm-hmm. The cross deals with the greatest dilemma of man, the greatest problem of earth, and the greatest love ever displayed on the planet. So I, I say that because I, I'm always a little, shall I say, frustrated maybe. That's the kindest way. Perturbed. Mm-hmm. How we talk about and we throw these terms around and, yeah, I'm limited, I'm unlimited, I'm five, I'm four, I'm seven, whatever. Mm-hmm. And we just whimsically kind of go into these conversations honestly with with – so much disrespect upon our lips and and, I, and and we do that with without understanding mm-hmm. right I'm, I'm not saying we do that maliciously or purposely but we do it nonetheless mm-hmm. we talk about the atonement and then and then we speak about it and pastors in general we speak about it so that the the people under our our tutelage kind of you know what they think they're just like, oh, yeah, why don't I understand the atonement? Why don't I have such a simple, clear, quick, whimsical, you know, view of the atonement that's just so so uh, clear and concise and all, like, it's done. It's, no, because the, the atonement's not that. It's massive. Hmm. It's huge. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's marked by so much impact and reverence and awe. We should speak about it that way. 
Mm-hmm. But for some reason, well, I know why, because of all the arguments down through the centuries over, is it this, is it that, is it this? And then what happens as centuries go on, we, we get our talking points, right? And we use our verbiage and we just keep recycling this to where then we just becomes about being limited or unlimited or, or, or sufficient or this or that and universal and whatever. And it just becomes, it takes the glory and the blessing and the enormity of the atonement, and it brings it down to a talking point. Listen, you cannot, you cannot rightfully understand what happens when Christ hangs on that cross, i.e. the su- the suffering and sacrifice of the Lamb of God, and, and you can't turn that into a talking point and still be reverential. Mm. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. We can't do that, but that's exactly what we've done. Every time we talk about this on whatever situation, we bring it down to some whimsical little discussion, and then we get into an argument. And and all the while, the beauty and the enormity of the sacrifice and the atonement is sitting there, and we're all like dealing around, groveling over over words. It really becomes a a, a semantic discussion rather than a reverential act of worship, which is what we should be doing when we look at the cross. It should turn us to worship and awe. And so I, I think before you ever have that discussion, everybody needs to repent in dust and ashes mm-hmm. and say, yeah, God for God forbid and God forgive me for having such uh, pedestrian and foolish discussions about what is the paramount, most important reality likely in all the scripture, mm-hmm. right? And um, And so I think you have to start there with a humble attitude and a serious understanding and then i think that reality sets up this truth there there is mystery in the atonement and few will admit that and a lot of theologians don't like the term but it's it's reality mystery just means what what i mean by that is there are aspects to the atonement that we can't fully understand Mm -hmm. there are parts to this that are beyond our finite minds just as there is in the hypostatic union, right? Hmm. That 100% God and 100% man doesn't mm-hmm. become 50 and 50. And, you know, it's, I can't fully understand how how a, a, a true blue virgin can give birth to the Son of God. Mm-hmm. How does the birth canal get broken by something coming out, not something going in, hmm. right? I mean, that blows mm-hmm. my mind. Mm-hmm. Let that set in. There's That's mystery, Mystery means like this. This is why mystery is so vital in our theology. Mystery is what goes, it makes us go like this. Wow. Mm -hmm. You take the mystery away, we we no longer go, wow. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what's happened with our theology today? Nobody's going, wow. Mm -hmm. Because theologians and pastors have taken all the mystery away. And we've made God into into this intellectual argument that if you just get all the wording right, you got him. As if we can understand fully exactly who God is. Exactly. Yeah. And if the atonement is the pinnacle on so many levels of what God is doing in the redemption of his own, then it has to be filled with paramount profundity. Mm-hmm. And that means we got to talk about it that way, but few do. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's why when I come to this subject, I'm hesitant to talk about it. I, I am. And that's why you don't hear me talk about it a lot unless the text brings it up, mm-hmm. because I don't think we talk about it rightly. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think we write about it rightly. I think we, 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 we talk about it from apologetic and polemical positions. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about it from reverential positions. Right. 
right? I'd rather come at it from an act of worship than from an act of defense. And there is a place for polemical discussion when it comes to the atonement because there are wrong views of the atonement and Mm -hmm. there are many of them. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not against that, but that can't be just what we do. And that's often all we do. Mm -hmm. I'd rather have a discussion about the atonement and its reverential awe that it's meant to bring to us, especially us who believe. And so, um, so there has to be an understanding that there's mystery in it because we don't understand God fully and we can't. Now we can understand what he's revealed and there's realities to what he's revealed about the atonement that I think we rightfully can understand and we should understand and we should declare clearly. And so that's what we do. And so we take the scriptures and we look at it and we understand it and we study it and we try to articulate those things. So when it comes to the atoning sacrifice, first of all, I think, um, I think you you have to start to look at this discussion and try to discern, and this doesn't happen, but it should. You have to discern, are we talking about the intent of the atonement, or are we talking about the extent of the atonement? Hmm. <laughs> and again, this doesn't happen. All that happens is, are you a limited or unlimited? Hmm. And the minute somebody, because I can answer that both ways. I said, well, what are, you, what are you asking me? Are you asking me about the extent of the atonement? Because if you're talking about the extent of the atonement, then there is a, there is a biblical truth to that, that it's unlimited. Mm-hmm. The extent of the atonement, by way of its sufficiency in where it extends, in how much it brings, and what it offers, it's unlimited. Are you kidding me? Christ is unlimited. He's infinite. He's the mm-hmm. infinite son of God. So the minute you limit the infinite son of God, we've mm-hmm. got a problem because mm-hmm. his death is of an infinite value because the value is direct proportion to the one that died. Okay. So okay. so if we're talking about extent, it's unlimited. So we're talking between how and who? No, we're talking. We're, we're talking. Well, I'm talking limit, unlimited to limited. Yeah. So the how. Well, the extent, the, the extent of. To what the, extent? To what extent. Okay. Is the is the uh, is the atoning sacrifice uh, sufficient? To what extent does Christ's death then offer a price of payment for sin? Okay. And if the extent is well, it 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 only offers enough for the sins of the elect. I got problems with that mm-hmm. because it's not the extent is like numerical terms. The extent of the atonement isn't well, Christ died on the cross for six hours because that's all the elect needed. But if there were more, then he would have needed to pay. Mm. He would have needed to hang there for seven hours. Mm-hmm. See, it's, it's, when you say it's limited, it's like he filled up this much, but no more. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, no, that's not at all what the scriptures mm. declare. And that's where the reality of, of, of speaking in, in universal terms, and as, the, as John the Baptist says, there's Jesus Christ who takes away the sin of the world, mm-hmm. right? He's... Those those passages are clearly speaking of extent, mm-hmm. right? The extent, the the level, the depth at which the atoning sacrifice provides is unlimited. It mm-hmm. has to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it 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 doesn't make sense otherwise, and that's where those passages come in. The number of passages that speak in those in those universal terms of world, right? Right. But then you also have the intent. What's the purpose? What's the intent? What was the design? What was God's design in sending his son? Okay. The yeah. extent and the intent. Yes. Gotcha. Yes. So how much is the atonement worth, you could say, 
and how much does the atonement bring? So here's, here's a better way to look at it is, are we talking about the application of the atonement? So when, how the atonement is applied, or are we talking about what the atonement provides? Again, different perspectives. Mm-hmm. And so again, we don't, we don't clarify terms. We don't make clear what we're talking about, and therefore everybody's confused. And I've seen this happen, where one guy's saying one thing, but he's thinking extent. Another guy's saying another thing, and he's thinking intent. And they're like talking over each other. And it's like, guys, you, you, you're missing the boat. You're mm-hmm. both saying you're both saying two different things because you're thinking in two different directions. Mm-hmm. Let's bring it down. And what are we talking about here, mm-hmm. right? And so I think when we start to wrestle with this and and these discussions I'm having and that I'm saying is not anything new. This is this is how theologians have talked about this historically, um, really from the beginning. As a matter of fact, again, now we're going to get into church history, but it's helpful. Mm-hmm. At the Senate of Dort, where the essentially the five points of Calvinism, quote-unquote, came out of, mm-hmm. this is the language they spoke of, right? And they used this kind of verbiage that spoke of a unlimited sufficiency unlimited value unlimited provision Mm -hmm. in the sacrifice of christ but limited right Mm -hmm. and so there was this reality of a both and where it was clearly there was both to it depending on which angle of the atonement you're looking at Mm -hmm. and so um this was this was across the board in church history how this this is described over and over again in different theologians i'm holding william shed's uh william shed's uh heavy uh, <laughs> theology, which I love, or I could pull off um, R.L. Dabney's over there, which I love that I think, or Charles Hodge, is, who is the Calvinistic theologian of Westminster Seminary. And those three guys, I have yet to see a modern theologian deal with the atonement better than these three guys. Hmm. And they speak at length. And, here, and, and so again, I'm going to read this mm-hmm. to show that what I'm saying is that my thinking, I've learned mm-hmm. this from these guys over the years. Mm-hmm. And so he says, uh, he talks about the reality of the atonement. And it says, again, it denotes an act of extending. The extent of the atonement in this sense means its personal application to individuals by the Holy Spirit. Extent is now intent. So he's saying how when somebody's talking about atonement, and he's using an example uh, up above. Well, here, let me read it. He says, in this use of the term, all parties who hold to the atonement in an evangelical meaning would concede that the extent of the atonement is unlimited. Christ's death is sufficient in the value to satisfy eternal justice for the sins of all mankind. If this were the only meaning of extent, we would not be called upon to discuss it any further. For all that has been said under the head of the nature of this of atonement would answer the question, what is the extent of the atonement? Being an infinite atonement. It has infinite value. However, when you take it further and you start talking about the intent of the application, what is the intent? Now we've moved from the value to the application. Mm-hmm. Who is the atonement for, right? Mm-hmm. In that sense. Now that's when we're starting to clarify. And again, I could read and read and reread quotes and quotes like this, which is really helpful, mm-hmm. where these discussions, and what you see here, these guys are taking it serious, mm-hmm. and they're clarifying. This is something, there's something here that's more than we often discuss, and here's why. Most guys only talk about one side, because right. there is a genuine extent. Mm-hmm. It is unlimited, mm-hmm. and you have to admit that. Mm-hmm. It's unlimited in multiple uh, 
avenues too. It's not just unlimited in its value, but it also has uh, an unlimited in its benefits upon the globe. There are benefits that the world receives because of the atonement. This is, again, why the atonement is so much greater than what we think. We tend to think of the atonement in simply its redemptive work, and that's the point of it. That's the tip of the spear. But as you, just like a tip of a spear, had sides, right? The, the arrowhead has more than the tip. It has sides. So it is with the atonement. It's not just about the redemption of the elect. It's also, it's also about the blessing on the cosmos, and that's exactly what Colossians 1 says, where through the blood of Christ's cross, God himself will reconcile everything in heaven and on earth and bring peace, will bring reconciliation, will make everything that's wrong right. How? Through the atonement. Mm-hmm. There is a universal benefit. There's something that's going to happen. I think that goes to Revelation 5, okay. where Christ comes from the back of the room. Mm-hmm. He has the right to judge what? Unbelievers. Mm-hmm. How does he have the right to judge unbelievers? Well, something that goes on with the atonement brings that about mm-hmm. because he's the lamb slain. That's what that's what John is pointing out. Because he died, because he bore this sufficient sacrifice that they have rejected, he has the right now to bring judgment upon them. Okay. And so you start to see there's also the fact that why does the wrath of God store up on man? Why doesn't God immediately squash every single person? That was my question, too, because it sounded like you were going towards common grace. And yeah. then God kind of just he's hes like storing up the wrath, but he is like holding back from. I, th- I think the atonement is the doorway of common grace. OK, I think it's the atonement that unlocks the for lack of a better word, the the opportunity for God to provide common grace hmm. to mankind, hmm. because in common grace, what is God doing? He's not sweeping their sin under the carpet of his so-called kind character. Mm-hmm. He's just holding it back for a little while. Mm-hmm. He's going to judge them as if, as, as if he judged them the first day they sinned. Mm. He's just, Romans 2, storing it up. Why? Because of the atonement. Again, and we could have long, there's longer discussions to this mm-hmm. of the reality and the depth. So uh, already, how long we've we been talking about this? And we haven't even begun to plumb the depths of it. Yeah. But this is... This is how we need to have a discussion about this when we talk about these things and not just throw out, well, I'm limited, I'm unlimited, I'm this or that. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I think, I think it's more than that. There's and, way more to it. Yeah, so I think, um, I think there's many passages we can talk about. We can talk about how to deal with the all passages, how to deal with the many passages, how to deal with the, the different passages, and, and all of them need to be dealt with contextually. But at the end of the day, um, there is a limited side of the atonement because the Bible says there is, mm-hmm. right? And the fact that there is a direct and specific intent in God's design to die specifically and uh, unequally for his own. And I use those words very succinctly and clearly. You cannot, if you say that God dies only for the elect, you're, you're missing Scripture, Mm-hmm. You, you got scriptures that you can't fit into that paradigm. And if you say Christ dies equally for all, then you're missing scripture. You can't fit it into that. How are you going to fit all these passages? You're going to have to twist them, which is what it, most people do. Mm-hmm. They, twist, they twist the world passages and say, well, that's the elect. Or they, or they, pissed, they twist the, the uh, church passages and Jesus Christ declaring em- emphatically that I lay my life down for my sheep, where he's talking very specifically this is who i'm dying for and everybody twists the passages 
And it's like, but isn't there a way we can do this without twisting the passages? Can't mm-hmm. we just let them stand where they are mm-hmm. and say there's something that goes on in the atonement where Christ literally, he literally has the world in view when he dies. And he offers a sacrifice that literally pays the price. Mm-hmm. He pays the price mm-hmm. for everyone and anyone. Mm-hmm. Hence why when we preach the gospel, and this is some of the issue that my limited atonement friends have to deal with, and they, they, they can't deal with it, and so they, they acknowledge it most of the time, and theologians do. Why do we offer the gospel so freely to everyone? Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I'll give you Come to Christ, and he will forgive. Just repent of your sins, and are we lying to them? As if it's false hope, like yeah. they really can't And be. then they'll say, well, we don't know who the elect are, so we offer it to everybody and the elect come. Well, yeah, we don't know who the elect are, mm-hmm. and we do offer it to everybody knowing mm-hmm. the elect will come. But are we offering it genuinely? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a genuine offer because Christ shed his blood genuinely mm-hmm. for all mankind. Right. So, so this is the issue that I think you have to deal with when you deal with the atonement. I think for, for sent and it still goes on. Most of the popular books, my friends, many of them— who have forgotten more than I'll ever know, write books on this and different guys. And, and I think they, they've given us a false choice. And I think this is important. If you read most theologians, especially Reformed guys, who are dogmatic and emphatic on this, they will tell you you only have two options. Mm-hmm. And they are this. Either Christ died for the sins of everyone in that unlimited sense mm-hmm. or Christ died only for the sins of his own. Hmm. That's it. You got to choose, right? And you're, you're in the horns of the dilemma. Are you limited or unlimited? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, maybe I'm both. What? You can't be both. That's a cop out. Mm-hmm. Is it? No. <laughs> so then ask me, does God love the world? Yeah. Does God love the world? But does God love his children as well, at, like equally? Doesn't he have a special love for his own? Well, yeah. I mean, I would say yes, and I would put it to the point of, like, you know, your your, your son was in here earlier, and yeah. you said, do you love me? And your son said yes. It's like, do you love Mr. Buddy? And he said yes. Yep. Now, if we dug down a little bit deeper— he would definitely say he loves you more yep. because you're his father. Yep. He won't love me the same way. So there's a general and mm-hmm. there's a specific. Right. There's both. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you got to show it to me. That's that's the showing part. You, yeah. Like you, you give me an illustration, yeah. I get it. So, so I understand so, that. So uh, who wrote scripture, God or man? Who wrote scripture? Yeah. Both. I mean, you see how this goes. Mm-hmm. Salvation comes by God's sovereign grace. Amen. By man repenting and believing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See? Yeah. How this there's there's so many of these realities in scripture, right? Is God human or is he divine? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you you see how this goes. Yeah. So it's interesting that we accept without any reservation in the Reformed tradition mm-hmm. everything I just said. Mm-hmm. But the minute we take the most the most important, the most mysterious, the most profound event in redemptive history, the atonement. And we say the same thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Everybody goes like, no, you can't do that. That's a cop-out. Mm-hmm. You, you can't go both ways. That's, that's middle-of-the-road theology. You're, you're copping out. you got to pick one or the other. I'm like, that's a false dichotomy. It's a false choice mm-hmm. because I'm not doing anything that Scripture already says. And there's a number of passages you can go to 
but I'll, I'll give you one or else because I'll keep going on this discussion because <laughs> you opened the door, right? Okay. And so First Timothy chapter 4, it's mm-hmm. a passage we know well. Yeah. And you get to verse 10. And he says, For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God. Here it is. Who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe? Hmm. He has just lined out for us a both and. Mm. Yep. And he's just lined out for us a general and a specific. He is the Savior for all men. He is the only Savior. He's the only hope. He's the only answer. He's the only name. He's the only propitiatory sacrifice mm-hmm. that will pay for the sins of all men. But in a very special way, he is the savior of those who believe. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. You, you see how that opens up the door. And and you know what's funny? As, as you're saying that, I'm thinking through because, you know, the, the whosoever, like the, the, the God so loved the world, you yep. know, John 3.16. I'm like, yeah, see, he loved the world. It's like, but yeah, and whosoever believes on him shall not perish. So it's like the general, yeah, and the specific. Mm-hmm. It, you, you'll see this throughout as you study it mm-hmm. honestly, and you don't take your preconceived theological understanding and pose it on the text. You just let the text speak, and you'll see this. Same thing with First uh, John chapter two, right? Jesus Christ is not only is not only the propitiation for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. What do you do with that? I mm-hmm. mean, again. That's interesting, and I just worked that through with our ladies in their women's Bible study and explaining how you handle that text mm-hmm. honestly and clearly without falling into heresy. And So, again, um, God demonstrates his love toward us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Yeah. Christ, Christ died for the ungodly. Yes. Now, here's the thing. Are the people that are saved, are the elect, are they the only ungodly? Yeah. No. Yeah, and so there's 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 a lot that we can obviously talk about in mm-hmm. this. Yeah, um, we should we 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 could we could talk about this for a while. But um, um, so I think I think we have to admit that there is a sufficiency, there is a and there's an actuality, not just a hypothetical. This is not hypothetical, as many would probably accuse me of. I'm not talking about hypothetical atonement. He provides an actual atonement. An atoning sacrifice. And here, I think, is key, and now we're going to get into the weeds, even with some of John Owen's arguments and the, and the double choice and double payment argument and all of those things, and, and, um, and we won't get, go there, but I understand those arguments, and I can tell you there's issues with them. But here's the difference, right? This is, this is I'm telling you, William Shedd, Charles Hodge, Charles Hodge calls Owen out, and rightfully so, mm-hmm. as does R.L. Dabney. And these three guys... And I've read more books on the atonement than anything I've probably read in all my years of theological study Mm -hmm. because I was so confused about this for so long. And I can tell you that one of the issues with the atonement is we, we, we compress the atonement to where it's all about the application of the atonement. And, and when we do that, yes, in the application of the atonement, it's limited. It's limited in its application. It's only it's only effective to those who believe. It's only effective to the elect. But the problem is, there is the reality that the atonement, the atoning sacrifice is one aspect. And faith, 
in that atoning sacrifice is another aspect. Mm -hmm. And we compress all of that in one moment because that's what theology does. It compresses and pulls concepts together and tries to tries to speak at it in, in a concise form. And yet I, I don't think we're being honest when we do that. There's this sacrifice, the act of Christ, and then there's the, the faith that must apply that, mm -hmm. right? Faith in that atoning sacrifice is what appropriates the sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And so there's an aspect in which Christ pays the price, but I have to believe in the price or else mm -hmm. it doesn't get accredited to my account. Mm -hmm. That's why Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 says very clearly the, the elect are what? They are, they are blinded. They are, they are children of wrath, mm -hmm. right? Why? Well, but Christ paid for their sins, and he did. Mm -hmm. And he had, he had them on his mind when he died. Mm -hmm. And yet, that payment is not accredited to their account until they believe. Repent and believe, yeah. you, you see how we, we take, and there's technical terms for that, and I won't talk about it because it gets confusing, but there are. And part of John Owen's argument in the double payment argument, when that idea of, well, Christ paid for the sins of the non-elect, then he's not just in consenting them to hell because he paid for them. Mm. And he's confusing. He's pulling, he's compressing those realities mm -hmm. and he's bringing together the payment and the application as if they're one mm -hmm. and they're not. Yeah. Wow. All right. You asked. Can we, can we can we David Miller this? We can. I'm done with that. Oh, there you go. For now. <laughs> For now. <laughs> all right. So all right. So as we as we come to a close, which uh, technically, if, if I'm going about the format of the entire podcast, we have uh, maybe about ten fifteen minutes left. But, <laughs> uh, and and that is, I think, good enough to to ask one question. But I have two. So the first one is a quick question. Hopefully, uh, this comes from uh, a listener. They want to know, tell is Be it a... Tell Beverly I said hi. It's not Beverly. It's not Beverly this time. It's not Beverly, ironically. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's actually Natalie. Uh, hi, Natalie. So uh, she was asking about... Um, okay, so she was really asking about secular music. And oh, yeah. the first the first thought I had when I saw it, I said, wait a minute, what what do you mean by secular that was the first question I had, but what she kind of, what she kind of explained was, you know, the, uh, okay, here it is. This is what she said. Where I struggle is understanding when it's okay to listen to worldly music or when you watch anything like movies or videos that might have a curse word in it. I say no to all, but then some people will say, if you listen to the music with your spouse, um, it's okay. Such as a song talking about love talking about uh you know intimacy you know something like that it's yeah. okay to listen to a song like that you know with your spouse like you know like me and beverly i'll tell you me and beverly we have kind of like this playlist of like older songs when yeah. we were in our teens yeah that when we go on date night that's what we listen to because yeah. we we like that music when it came out now is there anything inherently uh, bad about that and or uh would it be bad if like that music i listen to by myself like something that's talking about like intimacy is that bad if you know i'm just listening to it by myself or do i need to listen to it uh listen with it listen w uh to it with my spouse in order for it to be okay that's kind of where she's coming from yeah i uh, i think a couple things one is 
um, who you listen to music with and who you watch TV with or anything along that line does isn't the ultimate isn't is not the ultimate gauge on what's right or wrong. Mm-hmm. The Bible is right. Gotcha. God's word. So we base what's right or wrong, no matter who's watching it, whether it's your pastor with you, whether it's your friend, whether it's your spouse, mm-hmm. that will never make something right or wrong. Mm-hmm. You could have your pastor with you and still be in sin just mm-hmm. because he's with you. Doesn't it's what God's word says, mm-hmm. what he's called it. He is God is the, is the divine rule. He's the divine level that tells us what's straight and crooked. Mm-hmm. Right. And so what's straight and crooked about society and about culture and about music and about life is based upon what goes against what is contrary to the will of God, what is contrary to the word of God, what is contrary to the ways of God, right? Mm-hmm. That's what the, so, so you gotta, you start there. You don't start who am I watching it with or whatever that that's, that's not, that's not helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so first of all, you got to start with what's right or wrong. And then, then you go from there. Once, once I know what's right or wrong, then I can compare. Is this right or wrong? Mm-hmm. Right? Is this what is is what this says about love right or wrong? Mm-hmm. Is what this says about sex right or wrong? Is what this says about food right or wrong? Is what this says about the world, about drinking, about whatever? I'm tr- I'm, go- I'm going through pretty much everything that songs are about, and everything you know mm-hmm. TV's about. I've pretty much lined it out. It's usually about sex, food, <laughs> drugs, <laughs> money. That's about yep. it. Yeah. We've pretty much covered the. We've pretty much covered everything. Yep. So yeah. there, yep. There's death and and dying and and guys who are look like heroes but they're not. And mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty much it. We've exhausted pretty much the extent of the best the world can Wait, do. Did you say drugs? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just making sure. Yeah. All yeah. Right. That's it. So right. um, anyway, uh, yeah. Now there is a reality. So that's that. The second thing is Romans fourteen. Um, there is a reality of the conscience. And and the conscience is not talked about enough, and is not uh, considered enough, even in our personal walk. Mm-hmm. There are there is music, and there are shows, and there are things that are going to honestly be sinful for certain people to watch, mm-hmm. and not for others, based upon conscience. Mm-hmm. Right? My conscience is convicted uh, that this is sin, and therefore to you it is sin. Right. Don't go against your conscience, mm-hmm. and obviously there's reasons for that because then you'll train yourself to go against conscience, mm-hmm. and that will lead you down a path of of even more severe issues. Mm-hmm. So again, that's an issue that has to be brought into the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the bigger thing, uh, the bigger question is um, not right or wrong, because I think most of what this person's asking is probably gray areas, right? Life has yeah. got filled with gray areas. Mm-hmm. And so I think the better question is, is it beneficial? Yeah, that's a great question. Is it beneficial? Is it beneficial? So maybe maybe, maybe the maybe less on is this right or wrong, because I think that's really clear for most of us, right? It's not good for me to... And here's this will answer the beneficial question. It's not good for me to fill my mind with thoughts of promiscuity. Mm-hmm. Not good for me to fill my mind with thoughts of drinking and carousing and 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 partying in a sinful way. Which mm-hmm. honestly, most songs of different styles of music are pretty much all about that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Going out, partying, all of that. Yeah. So. So in that sense, secular music is going to fill your mind with sinful thoughts. Let me push back here because, I mean, you know, when I'm when I'm looking to have a romantic 
ex, you know, not experience, but a romantic time. You know, yeah. I'm sitting there with my my wife and we're just kind of relaxing. Maybe, you know, we got the fire going. I got a little speaker, yeah. you know, going. I'm really not in the mood to listen to, you know, come thou fount of many blessings. No. You know, I, I just, no. I want like a good, like, you know, old school R&B tune to, to, yep. to kind of, yep. you know, to kind of listen mood. to, to set the mood. You know what I'm talking about, Pastor. Yep, you know I, about. I do. I, you got four kids now. I understand. You I know. understand that world well. <laughs> but, but yet, Yet, even in that, you have to be careful. Gotcha. That's my point. Mm-hmm. Because, and here's the deal, and this is what doesn't get thought of enough, the heart is desperately sick. Mm-hmm. It is deceptive, and it, and it will take that which seems innocuous, right? Mm-hmm. Just neutral. Mm-hmm. It, will take, it will take that and twist it. And in that moment, what is, let's say, a, an innocuous situation. I'm with mm-hmm. my wife. My mind is on my wife or whatever. And mm, okay, but what about tomorrow night? Mm-hmm. What about the next night? You've got mm-hmm. that beat going in your in your mind. And then the girl down the street walks by mm-hmm. and we're off to the races. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where is it beneficial, mm-hmm. right? And so, yeah, yeah, there is those gray areas that you've got to be wise and walk through. And one of the ways you walk through those is by asking that question. I can do this. It's not a right or wrong. There's not a, a clear negation in Scripture that says, thou shalt not listen to R&B music, mm-hmm. right? So in, in that sense, it's not something I'm forbidden from doing. And yet, we are called to live wisely mm-hmm. and have discernment. Mm-hmm. And God expects that. Mm-hmm. He gave us a mind, He gave us the Holy Spirit, and gave us His Word. And so that's where is this beneficial for me? Is this going to help me? Do I really need this? Mm-hmm. And that's where uh, a discernment and maturity comes in, and you start to realize, yeah, a lot of these things are are really uh, vestiges of our immaturity. Mm. Yeah, you're right, and I completely agree with that. And and the thing about it is, it's like like I am, you know, I go to the gym, and I'm like, man, what do I listen to? And you know, the thing about it is, like, a lot of the guys that I would look at that, you know, uh, Vody Bakken would disagree with what I'm saying right now because <laughs> he is not a huge fan of gospel hip-hop. You know, yeah. a lot of those guys that I used to listen to, and I'm talking, like, three, four years ago, yeah, have all gone woke. So yeah. I can't listen to it. And not necessarily gone woke in the last three or four years. They were doing it for years, but I wasn't so, like, I wasn't I wasn't illuminated. Yeah. I, I didn't see it then. So now that I see it, I hear uh, certain artists or I hear certain songs or certain lines in the song. I'm like I, I I'm not listening to this. Yeah, and I don't want to. So you know, to, for me, it's kind of like difficult. So mm-hmm. like, and there's um, I get you know, there's a uh, there's this thing called uh, uh, Streetlights Bible mm-hmm. where they read the Bible over music but the version of the bible that they use is not the same thing like they would not use the word propitiation and i'm like no i need to hear that yeah like i want to hear that i want to see you know the actual what came from the greek so Mm -hmm. i i I want to find the the elect standard version in uh you got that I caught that <laughs> I want to hear that read you know versus you know some other you know NIV or some some type of soft translation so 
again, there there is freedom mm-hmm. in Christ. Right. Romans 14. There is mm-hmm. great freedom, and so there's liberty. And, mm-hmm. and honestly, we struggle to figure out how to walk in that liberty, and that's part of our immaturity. So there is that, and I acknowledge that, and there is more liberty than we realize. And yet, Again, I think the key is understanding the wickedness of our heart and guarding. I mean, we're commanded to guard our heart. We're commanded to walk wisely. And so I think there's a couple things we do as we walk with the Lord, as we, Galatians 5, walk in the Spirit and thus not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Mm -hmm. You grow and you realize, yeah, there's certain things that I can do, but they're just not beneficial. They're not helpful. And so that's, but, but let's go a little bit further and try to be more helpful, more clear. Um, Ask yourself this question. Is is this song, is this show, is this movie, is this whatever, is it edifying? Mm-hmm. Does it edify me? Is it encouraging? Is it exalting to Christ? Does mm-hmm. it lift the Lord up? Is it Does it honor him? You know, you start to ask yourself those questions. And again, it becomes really clear. Mm-hmm. It really does. Uh, Romans 12, right? Does this renew my mind or does this cloud my mind? Mm-hmm. Right? And um, I think here's just a little paradigm for you that I think is helpful um, that I've, you know, used throughout the years and, and found to be very helpful for me in these situations where we're dealing with gray areas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's obviously we live in the gray. So this is learning to be discerning is is one of the lost arts of biblical Christianity. It's vital. Mm -hmm. We must learn how to use the sword of the spirit so that we walk along the jagged edges of this world and not fall. Mm -hmm. Finally, brothers, this is Philippians chapter four, Mm -hmm. verse eight. Just think of the discernment that this brings when you apply this to your life. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Mm -hmm. whatever is honorable, Mm -hmm. whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know about you, but when I'm listening to music, I'm thinking about what it's saying. Mm-hmm. So I want to think about these things, mm-hmm. not about those things. Mm-hmm. And I think as we learn to follow Scripture in the gray areas of life, we get clarity mm-hmm. even amidst the gray. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely good. I... um. I want to ask this other question, but as I'm sitting here thinking, um, I don't. We don't have time. We do not have time for me. Is that is that is that new? Yeah. Well, no, (laughs) it's not. We don't have time because because this question comes from some other thoughts that I've had uh, in the last couple of days, um, which I, I really got messed up listening to a another podcast that was talking about um. Uh, talking about preachers mm-hmm. and pastors and the, <laughs> for lack of a, a better word, burden uh, of bearing the truth mm-hmm. and walking rightly in that. Um, and, you know, I, I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on it. Uh, now is not the time. Well, you already opened the door now. So what, I, what does I that mean? It, well, what it, is it, just tell me what that means so I understand. So I can help you as your as your discipler. I don't want you to get into the into this cuz this is I I know how you are. I mean, you got 
First of all, uh, you got uh, seltzer water in front of you, you know, <laughs> sparkling water in front of you, so it's so I can go. Yeah, and you got your, your GPMs are high this evening, oh, and I mean, it's just you know, it, it is a, what it is. I'm surprised it's been a long day. I yeah. can't believe I got any GPMs left. It's, it's, it's a second wind. It's the it's the ladder. It's the ladder wind. Rain. It's the ladder <laughs> <rain>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was gonna say the ladder rain. The ladder wind. The earlier rain came early this morning, but now we're in the ladder rain, brother. Right. So <laughs> the crops uh, are coming <laughs> yep so so you know it's it's kind of it's kind of one of those things where i i, I kind of want to get your thoughts on you know why even okay so, so you see what i'm doing what do you mean what are you doing i'm drawing the question out so at I, least at least i'll be ready for the next podcast because i never know what you're gonna ask okay so i'm trying to I'm, I'm at least trying to get a little little insight here all right i'll link this uh podcast because this is a a this podcast, I've never heard these guys talk before, um, but it was commended to me. You know, someone said, hey, you really need to listen to this. You know, one of my Twitter friends, I said, all right, let me listen to it. And I'm just, like, pushed. Like, I felt like somebody was pushing on my chest while I was driving. Just, I'm just, just leaning back like, wow. So. And what was it about? <laughs> the atonement? No, it wasn't about the atonement. I mean, it might as well have been about the atonement. But what the podcast was talking about was this: there are, you know, the it, it's talking about the the depth of um of 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 being a pastor oh. and um what that kind of looks like when it comes down to um excuse me about the. I gotta look up the name of the of the uh, podcast. They were basically, and these are two laymen. They were they, these are laymen talking about the 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 weight of being a pastor and how much that means. But not just that, but also the the importance, the vital importance of exegetical preaching, of of, of expository preaching. Mm. How important it is because of the fact that you are not just a man that is preaching, but you are literally handling the Holy Scriptures and handling something that is so sacred that, and and it's also pushing people and helping people to understand how much you think of the Scriptures. So getting back to how, you know, we were talking about how Todd White, you know, quote unquote preaches. He disrespects the word of God mm. on on so many levels because he just does not take the word of God so seriously that he doesn't take time to study to figure out what the for is he in a sentence. He doesn't believe it. Doesn't believe he he can't believe it no. because he doesn't take the time to understand it. He just reads the scripture and then just starts talking about it mm. versus allowing the scripture to preach. Mm. And <laughs> they said something and. And as I started thinking, I was like, you know what, Matt does the same thing every single week, and I and I and I'm gonna prove it to you. And and you, I don't even you probably do it on purpose, but you probably do it just just out of habit. Now, you completely threw me off Sunday because you had something important to say. It was a prayer request. It was it was it, yeah. it was it was in time. It was in yeah. it somebody, was it was good. Somebody was about ready to die. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that's, that's, that's something important. yeah and and it was something that came to you right before you got up to yeah. preach. But every single time you get up to preach, the first thing you say 
you get up there and it's kind of like this awkward silence <laughs> because you're just kind of getting stuff together. But you say, turning your copy to God's, turning your copy of God's word too. And then that's what you do. Amen. I was like, Matt does that every single time, yep. you know? So that's, uh, that's why I don't want to get into it. Cause I, cause that I can sounds see, like, sounds like you got into I it. I can see you warming up right now. No, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying what you're saying. I'm just listening. You're into it. Keep going. I, no, we, 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 no, we, we have some other things. We need to take care of. The third layman that's bringing it down. So <laughs> there you go. But it, it it convicted me because of the fact that like you know like what do how do i take scripture do i do i take scripture do i do do i respect scripture to that point and that's not just a reflection of my life you know it's like it's a reflection of you know me handling rightly handling the word of truth is that what's happening yeah um, how you respond to the word of God is the clearest indicator of what you believe about God. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Because God's word is the word of God. Yeah. And so as I was having a discussion with somebody last night who was talking about how much they loved God while looking at a passage of scripture saying, I'm not going to do that. And I said, okay, but you understand. We looked at John fourteen fifteen. Christ says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Mm -hmm. So how we respond to the word is always the greatest and clearest indicator of what we really believe about God. Mm. And that's why I've said most of us don't really believe in God as much as we think or more severely scary. Our view of God is way too small. Mm. And that's why our response to God's word is way too inconsistent. Mm -hmm. And so it's a, it's a, it's a symbiotic problem. Our view of God is way too small and therefore our response to God is way too inconsistent Mm -hmm. and they go together. Mm -hmm. And and the only way to raise your view of God is by getting in the word and responding to it Mm -hmm. because they go together, right? Mm -hmm. God and his word. And so, yeah, obviously that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's the way it is, and that's the sad reality of our world, and that's the sad reality of our hearts. Yeah, and there's a bigger, uh, obviously, a bigger conversation. Yeah, that when we it comes, I hear what you're one, saying, and you yeah, know, it's a, especially looking at like a lot of these celebrity preachers yeah, and yeah. how the 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 the, the narcissistic yeah. uh, way or, or yeah. narcissist, you know, way that they approach scripture, it really just points to them versus. Pointing to the sacred scripture and pointing to Christ. Yeah, there's a couple verses that bring clarity to what you're talking about, and I'll just mention one because obviously time-wise, but James chapter 3, verse 1, not many of us, not many of you, to be more specific in the text, not many of you should be teachers. Mm. Why? Because the teacher will be held to a higher standard, mm-hmm. i.e. judgment. Mm-hmm. And and what it, it has nothing to do with the teacher. It has nothing to do with his worth, his value, whatever it has everything to do with how he handles the word of god second scripture right second timothy chapter 2 verse 15 be a man who handles the word of god rightly cut the scriptures orthopedic that's where we get the word orthopedic from cut the scriptures straight that's what paul tells timothy Mm. be a man who's not ashamed who rightly handles the word of god Mm -hmm. why Third scripture, because the text is clear that the Lord of the church will come back 
and he will judge every shepherd of the church for how he handled the scriptures in shepherding his sheep. It's mm. scary. Mm. And that's why fourth scripture, Hebrews, uh, Hebrews thirteen seventeen, commands the church to obey their elders, submit to them, because these are the ones who watch over their soul mm-hmm. and who have to give an account to God for their souls. Mm. I'll tell you what, that verse keeps me up at night. Mm. Yeah. There's no joke. Mm-hmm. Because God cares more about you than anybody on the planet. Mm-hmm. And he's proven it. He shed his blood for you, mm-hmm. which means his precious blood, which means you're now precious to him. Mm-hmm. And I better treat you that way, and I better care for you that way, mm-hmm. and I better see you that way, mm-hmm. because God is watching. Mm-hmm. So I often think of how I think about my kids and how people treat my kids, mm-hmm. right? And I can tell when somebody's not treating my child with the respect that they should have just mm-hmm. for the fact that they're a precious child. Mm-hmm. And I often wonder, wonder what God thinks of me and how I treat his children, mm. his sheep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a scary thought. Yeah. Because he sees my heart. Mm-hmm. I can't see other people's heart. I just see their action. Mm-hmm. But he sees my heart. He knows my secret thoughts. That'll keep you up at night. Yeah. That's the weight they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. that's, and we're just scratching the surface. Oh, it's 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 a whole lot to go into, and I, I don't want to go into that Me right either, now. Because then I won't be able to sleep, <laughs> and I want to go home and go to sleep. Right, right. So, man, uh, this has been a good one. I told you it was going to be a good one in the beginning. See, I told you. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> I told you it was going to be a good one in the beginning. Can discipleship be this much fun? Oh, uh, man. It, it's How many yeah. years we've been at this now? Oh. Uh, I don't even. I don't. I try not to even think about it. Somebody told me today they wrote in their Bible. I started the mark in like 2018. I'm like, no, I didn't. And they're like, Pastor, it's right here, right here. Yeah. I wrote it down. I'm like, man. Yeah, you did. Cause that's crazy. Was it, was it 19? I, I swear he wrote it down. I'm, I don't know. I think I, it was 19. I don't know. I think it was 19. I think it was the first Jan- the January. It was January. 19. I remember that. But yeah. it's been so long. I can't. I can't. Because that's what we came in 18. So it couldn't have yeah, been. Yeah. No, 18. we were we were in a different series when you came. Yeah. You. You. Yeah. That yeah. was the that was the, the gifts and <laughs> and, uh, and yeah. church discipline was one of those. Yeah. Beverly talks about that all the time. It's like that. Matt got up there and started talking about church discipline. And I was like, why is he preaching on church discipline? And then he said, well, we're going to talk about the spiritual gifts. And she's like, oh, well, now all of my questions will be answered. <laughs> it's like, so this is the church that you want to go to, huh? I don't know yet. <laughs> I'm like, yes, it is. All right. Sorry. Uh, we have we have uh, we have we have talked long enough. So. We're going to end everything here. Thank you all for listening to the Truth Talks podcast. Um, look in the show notes. I'm going to uh, give a couple of links there for uh, some other, for the definitely for the Justin Peters video that I'm talking about. Please do not watch the Todd White <laughs> sermon without, because <laughs> here's why. Because Justin Peters allows you to watch this through the lens of scripture really that's what he does he puts the lens of scripture on that so please don't watch it without that he's a blessing yeah just watch it with how he says it and explains and everything like that thank you all for tuning in and now here is the gospel of jesus christ this is the gospel of jesus christ the biblical gospel starts with god out of nothing god made everything including you and me to bring himself much pleasure his purpose for us as humanity was to love, obey, and enjoy him perfectly. Instead of this, man has sinned against our loving creator 
and acted in rebellion. Since God is good and just, he must punish sin that deserves eternal conscious punishment under God's wrath in hell. But God, being merciful, loving, and gracious, had a plan to punish sin, and so be a just judge, and yet forgive sinners, and so display mercy, by sending his own Son, Jesus Christ, the co-equal and co-eternal Son of God, to take on human flesh, fulfilling his perfect requirements in the place of sinners, loving, obeying, and enjoying him perfectly. Furthermore, Jesus bore the full wrath of God upon the cross, and he satisfied the eternal anger of God, standing in a place of sinners, though he was himself perfectly sinless. God showed his acceptance of Christ's sacrifice by raising Jesus from the dead after three days in the grave. Now Jesus commands everyone, everywhere, to repent, turn from their sin, and believe, trust in him. This is the glorious transaction. God then charges Christ's perfection to the sinner and no longer views him as an enemy, but instead an adopted son and daughters covered in the perfect righteousness of his son. We can now have peace with God and have eternal life with him forever. It's true for every person in every culture, in every place, in every language through all time. So our response to this good news is repentance and faith. Dear hearer, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Turn from your sins. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this day, be reconciled to God. Thanks for tuning in today. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment. If you have a question, please send them to thetruthtalkspodcast at gmail.com. Visit our Instagram and Twitter at The Truth Talks Podcast. And visit our website at bellcroftbiblechurch.org. Delighting in the word that we might walk in the truth. A ministry of Bellcroft Bible Church.